Let's pray and we'll get after it. God, I just thank you for the opportunity to preach your word. Um, Thank you for the opportunity to sing of your grace and just, in that sense, preach to one another. Um, God, I just pray for those who are um, feeling weak this morning, who are stayed up too late watching football, who are tired, who are uh, just loaded down with the burdens of their own failures and um, hopes and anxieties and sins. Um, God, I pray that this would be a place of refuge. I pray that this would be a place of restoration and of joy. Um, God, as we are just programmed and conditioned to be so self-absorbed, Lord, I pray that you would lift our eyes to really see you, and God, that we would find joy as we look to you. Amen. All right, so we are kicking off a new series this morning called Faith in the Fog, uh, where we're tracing the story of Abraham um, as he navigates life in a fallen world. And one of the things we see about Abraham is that just like us, his faith is often faltering. Uh, because that's what life is like in a fallen world, that it's just, um, it's confusing. That's, that's why we called it faith in a fog, because uh, we, we have this God that we hope in, and we feel like we can kind of almost see him in a distance, but there's, there's just so many distractions, and so many temptations, and, and so much chaos, and so many setbacks, and just things that we struggle with that, that make it hard to keep our eyes focused on him. But even as we trace this story of of Abraham, I really want us to understand that we're also tracing the story of God. And we're tracing the story of his redemption as God is on this mission to redeem and to rescue and to, and to recreate a world uh, that's been destroyed by the fall into a new creation that can live under his blessing. Um, one of the other things that's kind of key in this whole series is that while Abraham is, is chosen, he's called out, and as David's already read, he is, um, he is uniquely blessed by God. The purpose of his blessing is that he might be a blessing. Abraham is not just a recipient of God's grace, but he is a conduit of God's grace. And what I want us to see this morning is that that is the broader design. That is what God has for all of his children. So kind of brings us to the question of the day, what we're going to focus in on this uh, sermon is the question of why does God bless us? Um, why, why does God choose to bless one person and not another? Why does God bless one person more than another? Um, one of the realities of, of man-made religion is that, that it tends to be merit-based. And um, that it's, it's really fundamentally asking the question, how do I obtain God's favor? How do I avoid God's punishment? How do I get myself right with him? How do I, how do I get on, on the, the good side of that line so I can, you know, live under his blessing? And, and the prescription varies from religion to religion, but, you know, pray a, pray a prayer, uh, perform a ritual. Uh, most of them would say give some money, um, you know, serve a little bit, do good stuff. Um, but at every turn, man-made religion, it really points our eyes back to ourselves and, and what we can accomplish in our own strength. Uh, but the beauty of Christianity is that we're, we're continually called away from ourselves and away from looking at ourselves and away, away from hoping in ourselves and our own behavior and our own actions and our own merit. And we're continually shifting our eyes to Jesus Christ who, is, who has been righteous in our place. Why does God bless us? We're going to be in the last few verses of 
Um, Genesis chapter 11, starting with verse 26. If you've got a Bible or an app or whatever, you can get there. And we're going to kind of plow through the first five or so verses of chapter 12. And here's what we're going to see. We're going to see that God blesses us by grace out of the overflow of his love so that we can be a blessing to others, okay? God blesses us by grace. There's nothing we can do to earn it. He blesses us by grace out of the overflow of his love because that's just who he is. And he does it so that we can be a blessing to others, so that the blessing doesn't just um, pile up in our lives, but it overflows and cascades out of us into the lives of those around us. Uh, So first thing that I want us to see um, is that we are only ever chosen to be blessed by grace. The way we're getting at that is we're just going to look at this genealogy that kind of um, begins the section, and it, it serves as, uh, as a hinge um, between the Table of Nations and the Tower of Babel and all the, all the genealogies that, that kind of focused on the broader world in the section that was before and, and kind of sends us um, into a more narrow focus on the family of Abraham. And, and really it sets up um, the great dilemma of the next, the next series of events. So Genesis chapter 11, verses 26 to 32, it, it begins and ends with Terah. Uh, that's the father of Abraham who will, of Abram as it is here, who will soon be named, renamed Abraham. So Genesis 11, verse 26 says this. After Terah had lived 70 years, he became the father of Abram, Nahor, and Haran. This is the account of Terah. Throughout the book of Genesis, I think there's like 11 of these transitions where it's like, this is the account of so-and-so. Like, we're transitioning off of one guy, we're transitioning to the next guy. And when the modern reader hears this, this is the account of Terah, we're like, okay, so I can expect that Terah is going to be the central character in everything that follows, and and that's going to be great. I've got an organizing system that I understand, I know where I'm going with it, and that's not it at all. Um, When it introduces one of these guys and says, this is the account of of terror, or this is the account of Abraham, or this is the account of Isaac, or Jacob, or Noah, or whoever, the story will go on to, to say almost nothing about that individual. And what it will actually do is it'll, it'll account the, the story of that person's children, and that person's descendants, and that person's line, and that person's family, because in that culture, it's really the children of Terah that are going to determine the significance of his life. Okay? And so, before we get any further, I just want to acknowledge that that is hard. Um, for some of you, it's like, yeah, I'm in this season, and, you know, I got a slew of kids, and, uh, well, I, I get that. That makes sense. Um, but for others among us, it's, I have no children, and I would love to have children, and that's what my spouse and I have been working on for a while, and it's not going well. Or, I have no children, and I would love to have children, but I don't have a spouse, and you know, as, as much as I pray and as, as much as I wait and as much as I, you know, just ask God to move in that way, it's not coming together, it's not going well, it's heartache, it's struggle. Um, and man, I don't need another Mother's Day sermon, not on Mother's Day, because that's, that's just painful. Um, so I want to acknowledge that. I want us to be this family where we can be real about those things, where we can love each other across those lines, where we're not kind of presuming how anyone feels about this or that they think the same way about marriage or children that we do, but that, man, we're, we're safe and we're loving and we're leaning in and we're being, we're being real about the challenges of life. Um, the other thing I want to say about that is um, whether our hope is in 
marriage and children or whether our hope is in career or um, whether our hope is in any other good thing that, that God might bless us with in this life. Um, man, those things make a terrible anchor for our identities. Um, when, whenever we, we set our hope so strongly on any good thing in the creation, we just really set ourselves up for disappointment. We set ourselves up for a lot of agony. Because there is nothing in this created world that God has made that is of such a substance as he is uh, that can really be strong enough to be the anchor for identity and who we are. I want us to understand that the identity that we have, it's not meritorious. It's not something that we accomplish. It's not something, um, it's not something that we achieve or, or um, in a material sense or a relational sense, even something that God blesses us with. Um, the, the, the anchor of our identities is um, it's just a gift of God's grace. We don't want to be the people who read about these central figures in the unfolding plan of God and just say, oh man, I hope that someday they write about me. We want to be the people who read about these figures in the central unfolding of the plan of God and we just say, what a great and gracious God. And praise God that I can be associated with him. So I just want us to understand that that's the tenor of all of this. It's, um, it's not, we're, we're exploring this from a human point of view, faith in the fog, because that's where it connects with us. But man, I just want to lift our eyes, because, because the glory and the beauty that we really see is, is not when we look at the people in the story, but the God who is moving in the lives of those people. The God who has been good to us and has adopted us into his family by grace. Verse 27, this is the account of Terah and really all who come after Terah. Terah became the father of Abram, Nahor, and Haran. And like in so many uh, genealogies, the emphasis is going to be on this biological fruitfulness. Haran became the father of Lot. While his father Terah was still alive, Haran died in Ur of the Chaldeans. Think 600 to 1,000 miles away from Israel, deeper kind of Kuwait area if you're an exceptionally good um, American in terms of geography or if you're just old and so you remember the war that happened in that part of the world, you know, like we got an advantage there. Um, Haran died in Ur of the Chaldeans in the land of his birth. Abram and Nahor both married. The name of Abram's wife was Sarai, which means princess. The name of Nahor's wife was Milcah, which means queen. So in both of these, we have uh, kind of a royal, prestigious, powerful ambiance going on there. Talking about Milcah, it says that she was the daughter of Haran, the father of both Milcah and Iscah. Now Sarai was barren. She had no children. So in a section that's all about having children and, and who are your descendants and um, you know, who are the arrows that you're sending forth into the world? We, right in the middle of this story, we meet Sarai, later to be called Sarah, who is identified as, as the one who is barren and who has no children. Verse 31. Pharaoh took his son Abram and his grandson Lot, son of Haran, and his daughter-in-law Sarai, the wife of his son Abram. And together they set out from Ur the Chaldeans to go to Canaan. But when they came to Haran, they settled there. Verse 30, 
verse 32, Terah lived 205 years, and he died in Haran. So again, this is a transitional section um, from all the genealogies that came before. One of the transitional notes is, this guy got really, really old. And again, we saw that, um, I don't know, last fall, whenever we were um, kind of trucking through the earlier part of Genesis, we saw that there's these incredibly long lifespans, and who knows what the theories are that go with that. My theory is that the, the effects of the fall were still cascading through the world. Because God created humanity to live forever, and and so we see in those early generations, even after the curse, that, that Adam lived a ridiculously long time. And, and again and again, they're living a long time, and you get to Methuselah, and then it starts to like drop off. And it seems like the curse is just, is just sinking deeper in and taking its full effect, and the lives get shorter and shorter and shorter until you know Moses, I think he lives to be like 120 or something, and he's like maybe the last of the oldies. But we're in this transitional section, and, and we're just getting to know these characters. We're getting to know the family. Some of these guys are going to come up later in the narratives as, as Abraham's descendants are looking for spouses, and they, they go back and they intermarry with their extended cousins and all that. It's totally weird. It's part of the culture. Um, a lot of us, you know, maybe in our modern culture aren't doing that, but uh, that's just what they did. Um, but again, some of the features in this story, it bookends with mentions of Terah. Um, introduces him and concludes with the end of his life. And um, Scripture often uses these bookends, and sometimes it's more elaborate, something they call a chiastic structure, where it's like an outer bookend and then a middle bookend and an inner bookend. And it keeps on moving your attention more and more to the center. And again, what we see in the center of this is we see Sarah. In, in this story that's setting up how God is going to choose one man, and out of him he's going to build one nation, and out of that nation he's going to bless all nations. It sets up this central dilemma where the man that God chose is married to a woman who, who has no ability to have children. And that's really what the, um, what the author is drawing our attention to. So kind of the, the central dilemma of both the life of Abraham as well as God's redemptive plan is how will God provide an heir through this woman and, and, and through this couple that has no ability in themselves to bring forth a child? And that just brings us to kind of the main, first main point in all of this. Why does God choose to bless us? He chooses to bless us because we simply can't do much apart from him. Okay? He chooses to bless us because, because we are incapable apart from his blessing. One of the themes that comes up again and again in the book of Genesis, it might happen with basically every generation of, of these women that, that God is going to move through and that God is going to bless. Every generation, they're barren. They have no ability. At every turn, God has to supernaturally move in order to provide children. And again, it's, it's, this, it's like a chorus in a song that's supposed to be bringing us back again and again to our weakness and to our neediness and to our inability and our desperate dependence and that we have to lean into our God if we want to see anything good happen. I, th- I think this text, it's asking us to wrestle with the question, what is it that we think we can accomplish apart from God's blessing in our life? What is it that we think that we can accomplish apart from God's power in our lives? Think about it. What do you think you can do apart from God's blessing and power? Maybe you could tie your shoes? Maybe? Maybe not? Philosophical debate? 
You know, can you tie your shoes without the, without the God of the universe who, who, who sustains every atom by his will? Well, maybe not. And again, you can, you can debate that and, you know, have your, have your angle in that, but I'll tell you this. When we think about building the kingdom of God and our part to play in that, which is, which is really where we're going with Abraham's life, there is nothing significant that you can do towards the building up of the kingdom of God in your own strength. Some of you guys, you got, you got small children at home. You can't make them love Jesus. You know, you, you can read the Bible to them, you can pray for them, you can, there's, there's all sorts of things that you can model and do right. But you can't change their desires any more than you can change your desires. And it's just this supernatural thing that God has to do. Um, you know, as I, as I stand up here and preach, I can't change your hearts any more than I can change my heart. I can't lift your eyes to behold our God any more than I can lift my eyes to behold my God because some days that's just hard and there's, there's steps that I can take. There's, there's, there's methods and there's tactics and, you know, there's that for preaching and there's that for my individual life of just getting up in the morning and, and when I feel so sluggish and I want to do absolutely nothing saying, God, just help me to open up my Bible and get started. Just get me three words into it. And, and, and then I got some momentum and I can go. But it's hard. It's all hard. And again, that's, that's life in a fallen world, but it's also God's grace to just remind us again and again, you got nothing in yourself. And so I'm not choosing you based on the merit that I see in you, that man, if I could get that guy on my team, we would have a winning team and it's going to be great. No. God chooses us by grace. And, and what we see, like Paul talking about in the tail end of 1 Corinthians chapter 1, he's talking about God's tendency to choose the absolute weakest and the most pathetic, which is us, by the way, so that we wouldn't suffer under the delusion that whatever great things that he accomplishes for his glory were done in our strength, but whether we would just recognize, no, they were done in his strength. There are blessings of his grace for his glory. Amen? So that's kind of the first, the first thing that we see in this. Why does God choose to bless us? He chooses to bless us by grace because we just can't do anything apart from his blessing. But why does God even bother to bless anyone? Why does he bother with us at all? We really don't get a direct answer to that question in this text. But what we'll see hinted at in the coming verses and, and what we see as we kind of zoom out into the larger scope of Scripture and the bigger picture of God's plan is that we serve a God who simply longs to bless, to bless the world. He is the one who's constantly initiating. And sometimes he's like blessing people in response to their prayers and those sorts of things. But in every story, he's the prime mover. He's the prime initiator. He is, he is this God who, who created the entire world and, and the people to live in it just out of the overflow of his love. Not because he was lonely, but because, because there was so much love in there that let's just, it's just in his communal nature to love, let's create some more people to love. It's, it's in his nature to bless, so let's, so let's create some people to bless. If you grew up in Sunday school, maybe the very first verse that you learned was John 3.16. For God so loved the world. 
Okay, and that just sets up all that follows. Like, why, why did God the Father send Jesus? Because he loves us. Because it's his nature. Because I, I don't want to get into like theological trouble here or anything, but I, I think he can't help but love us. You know? You guys know me. I'm an extrovert. I can't help but talk to you. Some of you are like, Shannon, come on. And, and, you know, my wife and my kids, like, everyone was tired yesterday. We were, um, Luke was gone, but, but Chloe and Jess and I were watching the football game. And when I'm working on my sermon, I'm reflecting on God's love for me. It just makes me more talkative. And it makes me want to just bless my family and tell them how much I love them. And, I, and Chloe, she had a rowing event. She was absolutely exhausted. And I, I keep on looking over at her. And I got this, you know, goofy grin on my face, and occasionally she'd flit her eyes towards me and be like, what is this problem? And, and, and I just had this impulse. I just wanted to tell her how much I love her, but I'm like, she's just going to receive it as annoyance. So I did a couple of times, but for the most part, like, I don't know, like nine out of 11 times or something, I just shut myself down because I felt like that was the way she wanted to experience my love, by being ignored. People are weird. Okay. But I, but I got this uncontrollable impulse in me. Like, I, I love you and i got to share it. And I'm not saying God's an extrovert. But I am saying we serve a God of love. And, and it's just reflexive. It's just impulsive to Him. That, that He would love and that He would care and that He would bless. And it's just out of the overflow of who He is that He chooses to bless us. So, Why does God bless us? First, God blesses us by grace. Second, God blesses us out of the overflow of his love. And finally, and what we'll see kind of in the meat of this passage, is God blesses us so that we can be a blessing. If you get nothing else, get that. God blesses us so that we can be a blessing. And we have been blessed. And man, do we have opportunities to to just let that cascade and overflow into the lives of those around us. Genesis chapter 12, verse 1. The Lord had said to Abram, Leave your country, your people, your father's household, and go to the land that I will show you. We have an opportunity for a tangent here. And I know nobody gets excited about tangents, but this tangent's exciting. Um, The central theme of this passage is not the Great Commission, or the call to send missionaries, or even the opportunity to send missionaries, though that is related, as we are blessed to be a blessing. But, but I just want to say, um, man, this, we've, we've done commissioning, we've done send-off parties, and all that stuff. But this last week, JT and Chitra, who we love, they did this. They left their country. They left their people. They left their father's households. They, they left us, the family of God who they love. And they went to a whole other country halfway around the world in order to take the blessing that they had received from God and to seek to be a blessing to others. To take the gospel of God's grace that they have received and to go be a city on the hill, be a beacon, be, be a light in a dark place where among most of the people in the city that they will go to, the name of Jesus is not even known. Okay? So man, I just want us to see the beauty of that and 
I want us to continue to celebrate that. I want us to continue to pray for our brother and our sisters, including our our very little sisters, um, (laughs) who might not even remember us, you know, in the time to come because they're being raised on the other side of the world. Man, I want us to pray for them. And, and I just want us to wrestle with the opportunity that's before us all, you know, to, to carry the gospel across the street and around the world, to, to recognize the way we've been blessed, and to, to just be recklessly generous in the way that we would seek to bless others. Again, this is, this is such a, a living parable of the Christian life and what we've all been called to. These guys, um, John was taking them to the airport and Sounds like all of their worldly possessions fit in the back of his Jeep, you know? Like, like everything that's going to that's gonna follow them for the, for the coming years of their life. Um, how simple. How beautiful. How unencumbered. Oh, man. Um, I don't want anybody to feel bad that whatever you're doing vocationally or however you're spending your day or whatever your desires are fall short of a missionary ideal. But man, do I want us to be inspired and encouraged by the God who has so loved them that it's just the spontaneous response of, man, this is how we love back and this is how we overflow that love. Amen? Pray for them, okay? Um, As we have communion later, take some time to talk to God about your life, but take some time to pray for them as well. All right? The Lord said to Abram, leave your country, your people, and your father's household, and go to the land that I will show you. Verse 2, God begins this list of promises saying, I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. Not just promising that he's going to bless them with a child, or with an heir, or with the, the miraculous fertility that, 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 that one child could come, and, and that will be enough. But he says, I'm, elsewhere he says, I'm going to give you descendants as innumerable as the sand on the seashore or the, or the stars in the sky. You know, God, God says repeatedly to the patriarchs, man, if you can count the stars in the sky, then you can count the descendants that I'm going to give you in this nation um, that I'm going to build and that I'm going to build out of you for your glory. So we get this contrast um, between the barrenness that they were experiencing in the moment and God's promises of fruitfulness and fertility. We get this contrast if we kind of zoom out into the larger story and, and bring in Genesis chapter 10 and Genesis chapter 11 and the table of nations and the, the tower of Babel and God's judgment and scattering of all the nations. We get this, this contrast um, between judgment and scattering and then God promises to choose a single nation and he's going to bless them and he's going to build them, these descendants of Abraham, into this great nation. And then we find out why in just a second he's going to make them a great nation. And it's not so that they can just be amazing and and say, hey, look at how amazing we are. He's going to choose one man and he's going to choose one nation and he's going to bless them so that they can bless all men and all nations. Just like he chose you. So that you can bless all the people around you. Not so you can look down on somebody and say, oh, I believe the gospel. I'm a Christian. I'm a good person. I'm a No. God blessed you so that you could be a blessing. And the, the, the message that's being screened from this text is, man, what's it going to look like to take the blessing I've received and, and just cascade it into somebody else's life? Again, God promises, I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. 
I will make your name great, which is a reference to honor and reputation and legacy. And then get this, he says, and you will be a blessing. Why did God bless Abraham? So that he could be a blessing. Why does God bless us? So that we can be a blessing. Verse 3, God continues, I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Again, roll back the clock a couple of chapters, and the story has been expanding all the way from Adam into this massive population of people who were then judged in the flood. And we go back, shrink it back down to Noah and, and his three sons and all of their wives. And then we get this expansion. Nations and nations and nations and building and building and building. And fruitfulness that God has given and sin and fallenness that's inherent in man and both continue to cascade into the world. But the focus is global. The focus is on just how wide this is getting and how they're expanding and how they're filling the earth with the image and glory of God and how that image is marred. And then all of a sudden we get to the tail end of chapter 11 and chapter 12 and it zooms in on one man and it zooms in on one family and there's this temptation to believe, well, it's just all about them. You know, God has his favorites. He picks them. I guess he doesn't really care about anybody else. And that's not it at all. It's that God has this plan to redeem the whole world. And God has this plan to bless all peoples and all nations. And you cascade this all the way into the last, the last book of the Bible. And you see this scene where, where God has gathered people from every tribe and tongue and people and nation. And they're worshiping him together. But that plan begins when he chooses one man and one nation. And in our lives, that, that, that plan begins for you when he chooses you and he opens up your eyes to see his grace and his goodness and his love. And then that, and then that conversation continues as, as he just invites you to ask, okay, well, if, if I've been blessed, who do I get to be a blessing to? You know, how is this going to cascade in my life? Because we understand from the story that it's not just that God is, has welcomed you into this family because he's choosing favorites. No, he's, he's welcomed you into his family because you're, you're networked and connected to a thousand different people. Friends and family and, and classmates and coworkers and neighbors and complete strangers to whom you can be the conduit of God's blessing. Because that's just how he's built his kingdom and that's what he does and that's what he invites us into. That's, that's why we've been blessed. So that all peoples on earth will be blessed through us. And when he makes this promise to Abraham, when he says all peoples on earth will be blessed through you, ultimately, and, and, and more fully than in any other way, he's, he's talking about the coming of Jesus. That God, who would one day become a man and who has now become a man, that, that he would be a physical descendant of Abraham and that in this way, all nations of the earth would be blessed through him. But again, this is also a promise that God intends to fulfill through us. Because we have been chosen and blessed by God. For those of us who have placed our faith in Jesus, we, we've, we've done that because, because God has taken initiative with us. 
when we were running away from him, when we were in rebellion against him, he sought us. He came and he, he's, he's wooed us and he's pursued us. And, and, and even those of us who, who seek to follow him, you know that, that he continues to tenaciously pursue you because you waver so much in trying to follow him. And, and he is the one who is just always there when we, you know, kind of come to our senses and escape from the trap of the devil and, and turn our eyes back to him. He's like, yeah, come on in. You know, he pictures himself as that, that father on the front porch that's, that's looking at, out at the horizon for his wayward children and saying, I want you back. Okay? We, we've been blessed by this God who has, who has loved us and who has entered into our world and who has lived the life we couldn't live, died the death we deserve to die, not just so that we could be forgiven, but so that we could be reconciled and adopted into his family. That is our blessing. And again, the shout of this text is what will we do with that blessing? How will that blessing cascade into the world around us? God chose one nation in order to bless all nations. God chose one man in order to bless all men and all women and all children in the world. And God chose you because of the opportunities that you have to be a blessing to the people in your world, both for his glory and for our joy. Concluding with the last couple of verses of this passage, the first steps of obedience that Abraham takes. Verse 4. So Abram left as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he set out for Haran. So for those of you who are like, yeah, I'm getting a little bit tired. I don't, I don't know. Well, we'll see. He took his wife Sarai, his left nephew Lot, all the possessions they had accumulated and the people they had acquired in Haran, and they set out for the land of Canaan, and they arrived there. And that's where our story is going to pick up next week, in the land of Canaan, as God continues to bless his people by grace out of the overflow of his love so that we can be a blessing. Amen? Let's pray. God, I pray that we would be a people who are just enamored with you, and stand in awe of the ways that you've blessed us and cared for us and been gracious to us. God, I pray that that reality would just change our perspective and change our desires. Um, God, I pray that we would live out of it. I pray that we would not be a people who are self-centered, um, who are loaded down with the burdens of our own problems and stresses and anxieties. God, I pray that we would be the people who just know that we have a daddy who loves us and who takes care of all of that and that we would just free our minds and, and free our focus um, to see the world that you are inviting us to bless. And God, I pray that most of all, we would bless our neighbors with the good news of your grace. Amen.